If you have a Bible, please turn to the book of Exodus. Tonight we are going to start a new series in the book of Exodus. I honestly don't know what to expect. I have high expectations, but usually, I've been telling people all day today, usually there's something that the elders and that, uh, uh, that the staff, we kind of feel like this is where God's leading us, this is why, and this is what we are hoping to accomplish in this series. Like we just finished Psalm 23, and that was really, really great, and we had really great expectations for it, and it met, exceeded them. This one, um, you know, I, I have a lot of expectations, but I think, I hope that our time through Exodus is as wild as the book of Exodus. Like, I feel like when Moses got in relationship with God, he's like, hey, I'm going to deliver some people. He's like, all right. And then there's frogs everywhere. And he's like, I did not sign up for this at all. I kind of hope that happens in our time where there's things that God does in our church that we just did not sign up for. And it's going to be great. So are you with me? Are you in? Yeah? Cool. So Exodus. Oh, by the way. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. It's called Deliverance. That's the series that we're in. Um, it's going to be, gosh, I, I really believe it's going to be a really great series. We'll be in it for about maybe 12 weeks, maybe 17, just depends on what God does. We'll leave, we'll leave some room for God to go like, you know, I think I'm done. Or like, let's keep this thing going. Either way, we're cool. Um, turn to chapter 6. I know that chapter 6 is six chapters that you, what happens in the first six. Well, we're, tonight's an intro. I want to do an, an intro. Oh, the title is, this is, I don't really do this. It's like so cheesy, but whatever. You'll see why the title is what it is tonight, I promise you. Um, but I want to do an introduction in this book, and I want to start in Exodus chapter 6. Also, as a part of this series, what we found very, very helpful for our Psalm, ser- psalm 23 series is that we all were reading the same psalm every morning as a church. We were meditating on it. We were praying it together. We were memorizing it. And that was very valuable. I heard from just so many people. Oh my gosh, Psalm 23. I, I know, I wake up in the morning, I know what I'm going to be reading and what I'm be meditating on, and that was super helpful. I found that when we were done with the Psalm 23 series, I go to spend time with God in the morning, and, and usually I'm just meditating through Psalm 23, and I kind of had this weird, weird moment, like, oh, what am I supposed to read now? And I'm like, the whole Bible, this is kind of big, where do I start? You know, that sort of thing. And I, I was realizing it's actually really helpful when our church is unified around something together. So when we wake up in the morning, um, we're spending time with God together. We know this is where our church is at, and that's very, very helpful. So this is what we'll be doing. As we're going through Exodus every week during our call to worship that happens at the beginning of our gathering, we will read a psalm that has to do with the theme of what we're studying that day and that week. And then we'll take that psalm and throughout the entire week, we was a church just spend time meditating on that psalm, reading through it. Um, there is no obligation to memorize it, but meditate on it, spend time in it. This week, it's Psalm 107 that talks about the story of God, the faithfulness of God, what God's done. And that's kind of the essence of what we'll be talking about even tonight. So Psalm 107, meditate on that this week. So when you wake up in the morning, and we're hoping that everyone in our church is spending time with God in the morning. That is so important to set your day. Um, as you're doing that, cultivating intimacy with God, this hopefully leads you into that. So there you go. All right, so I'd like to tonight do an introduction to this book. We will be starting um, Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. This is where I'll read, and then I'll pray, ask God for a lot of help, and then uh, we'll, get, we'll get started. Verse 6, therefore, <clears throat> say to the Israelites, this is God speaking, obviously, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you 
with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And I will take you as my own people. And I will be your God. And you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for our church during this series that you would surprise us, God. That you would lead many of us out of our, our different forms of slavery, addiction, bondage, to self, to systems. And that you would bring us into a good place. A good land, a different way of living, a different way of seeing the world. And I pray that tonight we would all begin to realize that this story is our story. I've, I've, I've seen that even going through this, that as ebb and flow of my own personal life, I feel like I live and relive the story of Exodus all the time. So Lord, would you <clears throat> help us identify with this story and I ask for your help. Would you anoint me with your spirit, God? Um, we want your words. We want your spirit to teach. And so uh, where I lack, would you fill in, Lord? In Christ's strong name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> In uh, 2016, when we, San Francisco, hosted Super Bowl 50, if you guys remember that, if you guys were here, even though Super Bowl 50 was actually 60 miles away from here, but whatever, that's a whole different subject. Um, James Corden, if you're familiar with James Corden, he, had, he did his carpool karaoke bit, uh, picking up Chris Martin from Coldplay, because Coldplay was doing the halftime show. And the bit was, uh, James Corden was driving from L.A. up to San Francisco, and he sees, just happens to see Chris Martin on the side of the road, picks him up, he's like, where are you going? I have to go to San Francisco for the Super Bowl. That's where I'm going. So they're going together, and of course they do the songs and all this other stuff, right, if you've seen this bit. Um, one of the songs that comes up for them to sing together is Viva La Vida, Coldplay song from 2008. And the chorus goes, um, I hear Jerusalem bells are ringing, Roman Calvary choir singing. Okay, that's the lyric. So they're singing it together. Of course, they're doing the karaoke bit together. And James starts singing something else. So this picture shows Chris Martin actually goes to turn the radio down. He's like, wait, bro, what are you saying right now? What, what lyric are you singing? What are you singing? And James says, um, a few cherished bells are ringing. And, and Chris starts laughing. He's like, he's kind of shaking his head like, uh. And James is like, well, well what, is it? what are the lyrics? What does it say? What, what are you saying? What is it? What's happening there? And Chris says this. He says, it doesn't matter what the lyrics are. That's music, man. It doesn't matter. Like, well, sing what you want, bro. You know, that sort of thing. Like, it doesn't really matter what you sing. It's all, it's all good. Whatever. And James is like, no, I want to know the lyrics. What are the lyrics? Oh, are the lyrics, I hear Jerusalem bells are ringing? And Chris says, well, that's what I'm singing. That's what I sing. But you can sing whatever you want, okay? And I remember that when I, I saw that live, and I always I locked that in my memory. I thought that was really strange. I think there are things in life that allow, like, for artistic wiggle room, Things that we can, that can happen and we can ascribe to them meaning that we want to. We can ascribe the meaning that we want to them. Or we can change the lyrics if we, if, if we want to and it doesn't matter all that much. But we all know there are all other things in life, like weighty things. Things so foundational to history and to identity that we can't get it wrong. And we're not allowed to or we shouldn't be allowed to change meaning. 
that when we repeat the song over and over again, we have to do it the same way each time as to not lose the exact meaning of what's happening. During Passover, uh, an, an annual ritualistic meal that shapes and forms the identity of the Jewish people, the, smaller, the, the night opens with the smallest child in the room asking four questions. And here they are. On all other nights, we eat either bread or matzah. Matzah is the thin, uh, unleavened cracker that we have for communion. So the, the child asks, on all other nights, we eat either bread or matzah. On this night, why only matzah? On all other nights, we eat herbs or vegetables of any kind. On the night, why do we eat bitter herbs? On all other nights, we don't, eat, we don't dip even once. But on this night, why do we dip twice, meaning taking the herbs and dipping them in like salt water? On all other nights, we eat our meals in any manner. On this night, why do we sit around the table together in a reclining position? The point is the same question that James Corden asked Chris Martin. What are the lyrics? What is the meaning of all of this? What are we singing? What are we doing? What's happening? And the answer is not, well, child, it doesn't matter. It's all good. You can sing what you want. You can do what you want. It doesn't matter. It matters a lot. See, this story of Exodus is the story. It's the story that is relived in Jewish households over and over again every single year during Passover for like around 3,500 years. And they have to get the meaning just right. Actually, in the book of Exodus, as you're reading, you'll be reading what happens and it pauses and says, okay, when you, when you guys do the meal, this is how you're to do the meal. It gives you instructions on how to live into the story over and over and over again. Four generations and 3,500 something years later, we're still doing it. It's the story that shapes identity. It's the story that shapes meaning. It's a story that we are never to forget. And this story isn't just Jewish. It is a Jewish story, but it's a Christian story as well. See, much of our contemporary church suffers from rootlessness that makes it easy to lose our bearings. Maybe we think that the church started like 11 years ago, or the church started like 50 years ago, or just a hundred or a few hundred years ago. But the truth is that the roots of Christianity are Jewish. The whole salvation program of Jesus is rooted in the story of Exodus. Actually, the story of Jesus is the true, greater, next story of Exodus. This is why when Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to a predominantly Gentile church, a non-Jewish church in Corinth, he says this. He says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors... He says, our ancestors, all of our ancestors, our ancestors were all under the cloud that they passed through, and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. By the way, he's recounting the Exodus story. You guys know that, right? They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they all drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Very interesting passage of Scripture. The Apostle Paul reads back on the Exodus story and reads Christ into it and says, oh, that, that rock was Christ. The rock, the spiritual rock that went with you, the spiritual rock that they, they, our ancestors drank from, that rock is Christ. And what this means is that this story is not the, just their story, the Jewish story, but if you're not Jewish, it's our story as well. See, Christ brought us together. This is exactly what Paul, Paul does at the end of this. So during Holy Week, uh, a couple of weeks ago, my community group celebrated a Passover Seder meal together. We do this every year, and the smallest child, our smallest child can't really 
read this complex yet, so we kind of read it for them um, and the community group. And so the smallest trial asks these four questions at the beginning of our night. And this is the response that all the adults read together. We say this, we, why do we do this this night? What's the meaning of this night? We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. We were. And this, is, this strikes me every single year. I identify with this story. We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. And God brought us out of, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. And if God had not brought our ancestors out of Egypt, we and our children and our children's children would still be subjugated to Pharaoh in Egypt. And it goes on. We. This is, this is our story too. This is my story too. I identify with the story. I identify with the fact of being in bondage or in the slavery. I identify with the fact of being tied up with an oppressor that I need freedom from, tied up in ways and things that I need freedom from. This is not just their story, it's our story. But I don't think this is just the Jewish story or the Christian story. I think Exodus is the true story of humanity. I think the Exodus story is the, the controlling narrative of all of our lives. It's everyone's story, whether you are religious whether you're Jewish, whether you're a Christian, whether you're a non, whether you're not any of those things. You're like, I don't identify as any, a Jewish Christian or anything. I'm not a religious person at all. This is your story as well. And the reason why I can say that theologically is because um, what God's doing in, uh, what God is doing for Israel in the Old Testament, he is actually doing for the nations. And what I mean by that is uh, when God called out a people to be his own, the Jewish people, through Abraham, he said, I'm going to bless you, and through you I'm going to bless the world. And the, Israel was supposed to be a light to the world, and what God was doing through Israel, he was doing to all nations through Israel, and they were to be a light. So I think what God is doing, the story of Exodus is actually not just Israel's story, but it's what God wants to do to the entire world, free from bondage. He chooses Israel and through them to bless the world. I think that's theologically how we get there, but I think experientially. This is everyone's story as well. I think the Exodus story is everyone's story experientially because Exodus is a story of true freedom, how to find and what that means, true intimacy, and true meaning. I think the Exodus story is a story of true freedom, true intimacy, and true meaning, and this is why I believe it's everyone's story. Even if you don't believe, I invite you to stick around during this series through this book and engage with it. Engage with this book. Engage with this story. See how this story is actually the story. It's a story of true freedom, true intimacy, and true meaning. And let me explain what I mean by those three. First, true freedom. Exodus is everyone's story because it's a story of true freedom. The book of Exodus starts with the people of Israel, are, they're in Egypt, and actually, the way the Exodus story opens up, um, the children of Israel are actually in Egypt fulfilling the first commandment. Do you guys, anyone remember what the first commandment is in the Bible? Be, be fruitful and multiply? Is that what you said? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a good one, too. Yeah, but the very, very first one is be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and then govern it or subdue it, okay? That's the first. So the first commandment in the Bible is this. Um, make babies, right? So, like, oh, that's a cool God. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, make babies, 
fill the earth. And then what I want you to do over the earth, I want you to co-rule the earth together. Adam, Eve, this whole campaign that God makes before the fall is I want you guys to fill the earth and rule, govern, or care, steward. Remember, Adam and Eve, our first parents, our ancestors were gardeners. They're, they, they tended the Garden of Eden. I mean, that has all kinds of implications, right, on how you care for the earth by gardening it, okay? Um, so that was the first, that's the first, like, uh, commandment. Now, check this out. This is kind of fun. Exodus 1, okay? So Genesis 1, Exodus 1, Exodus 1. Now, Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were in Egypt, and they were, listen, exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly. They increased in numbers and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. They did it. You guys, they, they, did, they did Genesis 1. That, that was exactly what God said to do. Like, make babies and fill the earth. Okay, so it's, ha- it's happened. So you're supposed to read Exodus. You're like, they did it. Well done. This is so cool. Now, but the, next, the very next verse, you realize um, the, the partnership between filling the earth and then co-ruling the earth there's a break there. Now the, um, the, 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 the villain is introduced. A new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Okay, so you're supposed to co-rule the earth, but there was one man with all the power. And look what he said. Look, he said, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. We'll talk, we'll talk about slavery and its implications next week, but the, what I want you to get now is that um, what's happening here is that uh, there's blessing, right? There is actually, they are, they're doing what God's called them to do. They're being fruitful, multiplying, but at the same time that there's blessing, there's also uh, curse or, 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 or struggle or oppression or like these two things are, are happening at the same time. Like things could be going good, fruitful, multiply, and blessing itself opens up us up to pain and struggle and bondage. Th- this is why th- I think this is everyone's story. This is what happens. This happens in life so many times. You fall in love, but you find that you have way more fear now than ever before because you don't want to lose that love and you fear messing it up or you fear the other person will mess it up. So though you're in love, you're filled with a lot more fear than you were before. You have all this freedom. We have all this freedom of technology, but what it's created is actually new forms of slavery and addiction. We get a, a, a job we finally want, and we've been wanting for a long time. We get the job, we land the job we want, but we find out we're actually working for Pharaoh, like literally Pharaoh. <laughs> and the company that we're working for isn't doing the, quote, meaningful work that they promised during the interview. Like, oh, you'll be doing all meaningful work, and you start the job, and like, this isn't meaningful at all. Like, this is, happens all the time. It's like blessing and curse, like they commingle together. And we don't, we have a hard time even putting our mind around what true freedom is. The very th- thing that we get, f- we get free from something only to fall into bondage all over again. Uh, uh, one, a uh, couple writers write on the book of Exodus, they say this. They say, our generation is confused as to the nature of true freedom. No matter how often we experience liberation from constraints, limitations, or oppression, we still find ourselves falling into forms, new forms of bondage. We get free from boredom and fall into the slavery to distraction. We pursue liberty from prohibitions and fall into bondage to addictions. We escape repressing and become enslaved to lust. We are released from isolation and fall captive to peer pressure and the power of the online mob. 
Like this, the back and forth happens all the time. We open ourselves up to new freedoms, and then right with those freedoms comes new forms of slavery, new forms of bondage. And Exodus is our story because we all feel this. We all know this. This is the human experience. Exodus is our story because all of us need deliverance. This is what we need, true freedom. We need true deliverance. We have areas in our lives that we need deliverance. We, we need deliverance from fears and worries and freedom from our, and deliverance from our certain behavior and behavior, behavior patterns that we have in our life, unconscious motivations that drive us from systems of injustice and societies that oppress. We need deliverance. And so God, in, in and through Exodus, promises deliverance. He promises true deliverance. And not just, not just, just as God promised deliverance, um, what we learn in Exodus is that God acts through history to bring about deliverance. God acts in history. God actually does something to bring about deliverance. And, and so we see in Exodus 6, 6, like we just read, it says this, Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the yoke. I will bring you out of bondage. I will bring you out from the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you. Now, if you have a Bible open or uh, a Bible program open on your device or whatever, would you highlight or underline the word redeem? This is the first time that word is used in the Bible. The very first time. This is the first mention of the word redeem. And whenever you come across a word, a weighty, huge, important word like redemption, and it's the first time it's used, you're supposed to clue in on that and go, how is it used the first time? Because the way it's used in the first time will be seeds of how it's used over and over and over again in the story of Scripture. And redeem is a really important word in our vocabulary, especially in and around uh, the life of faith. What does redeem mean? And what happens in Exodus is Exodus becomes the biblical archetype or the biblical model of what redemption is to look like. What is true redemption? And when you look at the story of Exodus, the story of redemption follows a certain pattern. And, and here's, the, here's the prototype pattern. It's on the screen. There are, there, are, there are things that enslave us. And the things that enslave us, the people that enslave us, the powers that enslave us, we're usually pretty helpless against these powers. Some people, if you, if you want to talk about it in medical terms, you call this addiction. Um, we also know this as systems of power and systems of ways that oppress us and hold us down. And then we are powerless to do anything about them. And then usually the oppressor, the, there is an actual thing that's oppressing. And um, in, the, in the story of Exodus, uh, the, the oppressor's name is Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh is just a title. We're not given Pharaoh's name. And the reason why we're not given Pharaoh's name is that Pharaoh is an is a unnamed, um, uh, faceless symbol of oppression. Because Pharaoh will take on different forms throughout the story, throughout the story of Israel. So at the very beginning of, of the story of Israel, um, there's an actual physical man named called the Pharaoh who's oppressing them. And then when they're actually freed from the Pharaoh, they find that they are actually, uh, the, the, the story of Exodus reads that they actually become Pharaohs themselves. They actually become people who are just as, um, as tyrannical as Pharaoh. And there are Pharaohs, uh, if, pardon this weird language, Pharaohs in their heart. 
there's idolatry that they have, that God frees them from the Pharaoh, but they find that Pharaoh lives in here as well. And so they get free, and they're like, we're free. And then they start going, let's turn back. Is God even with us? Can we even trust this God? Why would he even bring us out here? Why would he even do this? We had it so good when we were in Egypt. Ever been there? Ever been so freed and they're like, oh, but we had it so good? No, you were abused there. (laughs) Yeah, but we ate good meat. Like, that's what they were saying, by the way. Oh, we missed the meats. That's what they were saying. We missed the meats. But this, we laugh, but this is completely us. We get freed from things. We're like, oh, but I miss it. I miss my addiction. I miss when I was enslaved. I miss that abuse. Like, it's insane. This is why it's our story. And they realize as they move into uh, the wilderness wanderings, as they're up on, uh, at the base of Mount Sinai, that, the, the, that they're, they're, the Pharaoh like, lives in here inside. And God has to deliver them from that as well. And this is actually the seed that keeps growing where uh, Jeremiah starts saying, oh, um, actually God needs to give you a new heart because your heart is hard like Pharaoh's heart. And you need a new heart which actually makes way for the gospel, right? The, the seed of Exodus, the story of Exodus, actually the, the prototype that's told over and over and over again throughout the Bible that gets us to Jesus. And this is why I think Exodus is so important. And so it fall, redemption follows this line. We are we're in slavery, we're in bondage, and there's an oppressor, Pharaoh, Pharaoh's of the heart, Pharaoh's in society, and then God raises up a deliverer that comes to rescue us, and the deliverer actually takes his path of suffering and the path of suffering that the deliverer goes through ultimately brings liberation, but the liberation only comes through death, and we're going to see that that's also there as well, the death of the firstborn, death of a lamb, blood covering the doorpost, Passover, that sort of thing. And then God, the deliverer, brings liberation, and liberation happens because God acts, uh, enacts his justice on the oppressor, and then evil is, is ultimately and definitively defeated, and then the people of God are called to live in a new land in new and different ways. That, that story arc, that prototype, is the prototype of redemption. So when we get to the life uh, and the ministry of Jesus, it follows this exact same pattern. And we, as we live into redemption, follow the same pattern as well. This is, Exodus is the prototype for how God delivers. And so this is why it's really important to study it. It's important to get into this. We can relate to this story, story because we're supposed to relate to this story because the story is all of us. This is our story. Number two, Exodus is everyone's story because it's the story of true intimacy. Exodus, I, I think Exodus is for, is for lovers. If you, if, you, if you want to know intimacy with God, Exodus is for you. What we're going to find in Exodus is that God is, um, is, is angry and that might rub you the wrong way. You might like, oh, I don't like this. I, like the, I, I don't like what, what, to talk about an angry God. God is angry of the things that keep you from intimacy with him. God is angry when you're bound up in things that are destroying you. And God goes after those things um, in a very uh, real, robust way that you can't control. You can't control this God. He's, he's the Lord. And he goes after them, and he goes after to destroy them, to bring complete freedom. And then when you're the person in the way, he will go after those things in your heart. And he will go after and he'll discipline you as well. And this is all, this is, this is it. This is like, this is why Exodus is like a real, real living book. Because it's true. This happens. There's things that are like, God, go after them. They're abusing me. And God says, I will. And then you're free, and then you're the one. You're the one. You're the one abusing 
You're the one that's, um, that, that's destroying yourself. And God will go after you in ways to r- rip these things from your life. Um, Exodus is, for, is, about, is about intimacy. This is why in verse, in verse 7, Exodus 6, 7, it says, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. I will take you as my own. This is marriage language right here, right? I will take you, and you will be mine. The whole point of Exodus is not just freedom for freedom's sake. It's freedom. It's not freedom just from something. It's freedom to something. It's to know, to, freedom to know God. Now, I think uh, one of the questions that many of us live with, um, even as, even as a, f- a follower of Christ, you might live with the, I, the, the thought, especially living in San Francisco, uh, do all roads somehow lead to God? And we see all of this very spiritual, new agey sort of movements, and we kind of think, well, all roads lead to God. Well, I think that the story of Exodus might challenge us to ask a different question. The story of Exodus will challenge us to ask, what if we actually have this backwards? What if we were not really the ones in this world as religious travelers trying to find the right road to God? What if the story is actually saying that the truth moves in the other direction? What if the Exodus story reveals to us that God is after us? See, when we, we think that we're the ones trying to find God, trying to get to God, wanting to bridge this big chasm between us and the divine, in this way of thinking, God always seems just too far away. We can never cross over to the divine. We can never build that right bridge to access Him. We can't find the right path to get to Him. See, we, might, it might, we, we make it sound as if we're the ones looking for God and God's the ones hiding from us. But that's not really the story. That's why the premise of the question is wrong. Do all roads lead to God? I don't, think, I don't think you are the one looking for God as much as God is looking for you. I think this is what Exodus teaches us. And we hide. The Bible opens up with humanity eating forbidden fruit. And the first thing they realize is that they're naked and they're ashamed. And they hide from each other. And then God goes after them and they hide from God. And there it is right in the very beginning of the story. Right at the beginning of the book of the Bi- first book of the Bible. How do we miss this? God is after us and we're hiding from him. God is looking, we're hiding. We're lost, he's after to, he's after to find us. And, and it's true that sometimes we can be lost in a system. We can be lost in oppression that was caused by other people. But the point is that God is after us. This is what Exodus teaches. It's, it's not about all roads leading to God. What if it's really about the, the road that God takes to get to us, what God does to get to us. See, the whole controlling symbol in Exodus is the tabernacle. The tabernacle, that's a really strange word. It's basically a tent. And this tent is, will be set up eventually when Israel is free from bondage in Egypt and, and they, they go to Mount Sinai. God says, I'm, I'm going to give you instructions to build this tent. And this is a really large tent. And I want you to set it up right in the middle of where you guys are camping. And every time you move, I want you to pack up this tent and then reestablish it where you guys move to. And in the middle of this tent, I will live in this tent. We will call this the tent of like me. This is where I will dwell, my tabernacle, my presence. I will live there. And the whole point is this. God wants to live among his people. He wants to live there. I want to live with you. I want you to live with me. I want to live in, in, your, in your midst. And now the, the, the important thing about a, a, a tabernacle is a tabernacle is temporary. It's a tent. Tents are not permanent. They're temporary. Now, you, you have to hold on to that because that's a really important clue. Eventually, Israel will, will, will um, graduate from wandering and move into the land that they're going to settle in, and then eventually they build a temple. 
A temple is a permanent dwelling of God. This is where, like brick and mortar, this is stone. This is like where God is literally dwelling, and he's there permanently, okay? Now, all of these things are what Exodus is trying to get after. Uh, look at Leviticus. Let me read to you Leviticus chapter 26. This is, this is them retelling the Exodus story again, and this is the whole point of it. Look at this. Leviticus 26 verse 11 says this. I will put my, this is God speaking to Israel, I will put my dwelling place. That word dwelling place, if you have a Bible, it has a little um, footnote, and it says tabernacle. What this word is saying is, I want to live among you. I want a tabernacle with you. I will put my tabernacle among you, and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God. This is basically Garden of Eden language, right? And you will be my people, I, will, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. This is the whole point of Exodus. I want to save you. I want you to walk with your heads held high, and I want to live in your midst. I want to tabernacle with you, and I want to live with you. I want intimacy between me and you. This is why we're going through this book, by the way this year of cultivating intimacy with God, we're, we, we want to, God to live among us. Okay, I, I, held, I had you hold tabernacle in your mind, temporary dwelling place, temple in your mind, permanent dwelling place. Now, we get, we get to the Gospels. And John, uh, the writer John, opens up his Gospel like this. The Word um, was with God. The, the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he eventually says, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling. That word dwelling is tabernacle. That the, he came and he made his, he tabernacled among us. What, what is John saying? This is, the, this, is, this is the Exodus story. This is the new Exodus, right? This is the rebooted story. The true and greater Exodus is happening. This is the thing that, that Israel was waiting for, the, the, the new Exodus, a new freedom, new hearts, that sort of thing. And John is right, it happened. And God dwelled among us. The word became flesh and dwelled among us, and he, and he tabernacled with us. And we've seen his glory. This is, this is what Moses wanted to see. He wanted to see God's glory. And John's like, we saw his glory, the one and the only son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He tabernacled, okay, but you're thinking, but tabernacle's temporary. It's a tent. And Jesus temporarily dwelled among us. He was here for 33 years, temporarily. But what about the temple? Jesus said, I'm going to leave, and I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to live in you. So where do we get the temple language? Well, we get the temple language in the fact that the Spirit lives in us, and we are now the temple. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? There it is. This is all stuff and all language that started in Exodus. Where is the permanent dwelling of God now? God doesn't just want to live in the church like, I want it to be there. He goes, I want, I want in here. I want a new heart. I want to fill you with my spirit. I want, I want to live in you. He, Paul says, your body is your temple of the Holy Spirit. Who is in you? Who you received from God? You are not your own. You are bought a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. By the way, Side note, this whole context of 1 Corinthians is all about sexuality. The fact that Christ, the Spirit of God lives, you, God lives in you, has all kinds of implications of how you use your body, what you do with your body, your sexuality, all of it. God has claim to all of it. And if you think, well, it's my body, I'll do what I want. God says, no, it's not your body. I live in you. 
and I bought your body with a price. So the thing is, we think that freedom means, oh, I was, I was a slave to Pharaoh, and now I'm free, I can do what I want. Actually, Exodus moves like this. I was a slave to, to Pharaoh, and now I'm a slave to Yahweh. And Yahweh is a, a sovereign, wonderful ruler who rules rightly and rules us rightly. So we live justly and humbly. With, that's, that's, that's the movement, right? So if you think, oh, Christianity, it's freedom. It's all about what I, I can do what I want. No, not really. You're actually brought under a, a, a right, a right um, master, a Lord, Jesus. Um, lastly, number three, Exodus is everyone's story because it's a story of true meaning. Is, every, is, is anyone familiar with Mystery Science Theater 3000? Do you guys remember this? Anyone? Oh, my gosh, it's so good. Okay, so Mystery Science Theater 3000, if you don't know what this is, it's on Netflix now, by the way. You can watch it on Netflix. Uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 is like this guy, he's, he's, he's captured by, on a spaceship, and they're trying to like, uh, break his mind by showing him all these really horrible movies. And he'll, they think he'll just go insane one day. So what he does is he creates these robots where he basically watches these movies with this robot, with these robots, and they just make fun of the movie the entire time. And they point out really weird things about, they watch these really strange B-rated movies and they just they make fun of them or make comments on them the whole time. So here's the thing. There, in Mystery Science Theater, there are two levels of meaning in the movie. You're watching. You're watching two levels of things. Level one, the actual movie. You're actually watching uh, a giant turtle swinging on a bar, whatever that is. I don't know what, that, what movie that is, okay? That level one, I'm, that's the movie. I'm watching the movie. But level two, you're watching the movie, but really you are watching the people watching comment on the movie. You with me? Everybody with me? So there's two things happening. There's the thing that's happening on the screen, but there's actually what's most important, what you're really paying the most attention to are the people who are interpreting the movie. Okay. I bring that up because of this. In the same way, there are two levels of, of, of layers, two layers of meaning in Exodus. Layer one, what's on the screen? What's happening with Moses in real time? Okay, so is, is Exodus um, history? Yeah, Exodus is history. Did it really happen? Yeah, it really happened. And if you get caught up on the, okay, but how did it happen? How did the quail happen? Were the quails like migration things? And how did the Red Sea get dried up? Was it like a fluke? Like if you get on to the, all that sort of history, where did it happen? I want the evidence and all that stuff. That's, that, that's one layer, but here's the second layer that's actually the most important layer. Layer two. You are, you are watching this, but you're actually watching prophets looking at this story, interpreting it on what it means on how we're to live and how we're to seek God. That's what's happening in Exodus. It, there's the actual Moses, and he's a real person, and he, he really meets God, and he really is called by God, and he's really called to go to Pharaoh, and he's really called to lead people out. That's happening. There's one layer. But what's ha- what's, what the prophets are doing in Exodus, the prophets are retelling the story of Exodus over and over again for generations, and they're giving us what it means. What does the story mean? What's happening in this story? How does this tie to the story of God? How does it tie to being a people of God? How does this tie on how we're supposed to live and how we're supposed to act? How does this tie into who God is and his character? Do you, there, are, there, are two, there are these two levels of meaning, and here's the point. Exodus is history, yes, but the most important part is the meaning that's pulled out of it by the prophets. And I think these are the same things that happen and I think this is why 
this is why this resonates. This is why it's all of our story. There, there are two layers to our lives. Layer one, things that happen. Things that are almost, that are happening in our life are all, almost always complex and always messy. There are things that are happening in your life right now. There are things that empower us that happen in our lives. There are things that dehumanize us, things that do nothing. There's just normal life. There's things that like I got in my Uber. Whatever. That's just like a thing that happened. And there are things that rock us. There are things that hit us with such a life force that we're forced to ask, what is, what is, this, what is this that's happening? There's just things that happen. But layer two, there's meaning. Over our lives, there's a layer of meaning that sometimes takes a lifetime to unravel. It can't be done on the fly, and it rarely is. Over seasons and years, we see the implications of meaning in our stories. We see God at work. Over the course of our lives, there's a meaning that's drawn out of our lives. We see that season of our lives, and we see the meaning that God extracts from it. An example. Here's an example. At the very beginning of the story of Exodus, it looks like God is silent or absent. He's not even mentioned at the very beginning of the Exodus story. Not at all. God's not even mentioned. And you're you're left to wonder, is God at work here? The people of Israel are enslaved. Pharaoh's getting angry. Not only are they enslaved, but they they keep multiplying. They keep having babies. And Pharaoh says, you know what we're going to do? We're going to start exterminating every baby boy born. I want you to drown him in the Nile River. And you're thinking, where is God? And then you hear the story of a couple of women who are courageous and they don't obey the Pharaoh. And they fear God more than they fear Pharaoh. And they obey God and they don't turn their baby over to Pharaoh. And they're, and in the, in the middle of it, you don't know this, but God is at work through their obedience. That's, you, don't, you don't see, the story doesn't explicitly say that. I wonder if these women knew that. I wonder if these women are like, God, where are you? I, don't, I guess we take matters in our own hands. We're gonna, we're, we'll, we'll keep our baby. We'll hide them out. And oh my gosh, this one's delivered. I don't know if they're thinking God's at work here. And one of the babies that is saved, his name is Moses, by the way. And I, I, I bet you when they, when, they, when they pulled Moses out of the water, they didn't know at all what was happening until 80 years later when Moses comes back into Egypt and says, let my people go. You don't see it. You don't see the meaning. You're doing acts of obedience, and maybe you're, that's the place you're at right now. You're, in, you're living in obedience to God, but you're like, what? God, where are you? I am acting obediently, but everything in my life continues to go wrong, and I don't see the purpose, I don't see the meaning. We are, we're people that are very impatient. We want God to act right now. Do, do, do this now. And what, we're, what we see next is that the story of God, the levels, the layers of meaning, how God delivers, happens over a long period of time. Moses first gets these, like, inclination for justice in his own people when he's 40 years old, and then he kills an Egyptian and runs away for 40 years. It's a long time. I'm almost 40. That's a long, I feel like it's a long time. 40 years. And he comes back after 40 years. The the redemption, the story, the plan of God, the unfolding plan of God, the layers of meaning that God brings about in our lives take a long time time. And sometimes they're done through little acts of obedience, rebellion against the system and obedience to God. And we don't see that. We might not see it for 40 years, maybe 80 years. 
And so this is something I've been meditating on, and, we'll, and I'll close with this, and I promise I'm closing right now. I've been meditating on the reality throughout studying this book so far that God promised that God makes all things new, not all new things. See the difference there? God makes all things new, not all new things. So, all things new take a lot longer than all new things. I can, we can go out and buy all new things, but when you make all things new, that, that's a restoration project. That takes a lot longer. At the end of, in the book of Revelation, Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. He didn't say, behold, I just made some all new things. You know what we did? We scrapped that whole thing. Didn't really work out. All new things, guys. No, no. He's at work in history to bring about and make all things new. So the, is Exodus a messy story? It is such a messy story. Not only are there like dead frogs everywhere and lice, that's just its own mess that's just <laughs> disgusting, but it's, but it's like God working through human frailty, human imperfection, human sin, human rebellion. He's like, I'm making all things new through the mess of this world, the mess of world systems, the mess of slavery and oppression. I'm making all things new. And it takes a long time to make all things new. And we get the beginning of the story that ultimately ends in Jesus some 1,500 years later or something like that. And it takes a long time. God makes all things new. And, and there's even this interplay that happens in Exodus where Moses is just so over the, the, the Israelites. They're complaining and they're grumbling. And Moses says, God, can we just like, like just take them all out and start again a new, with a new fresh group of people? God's like, no, 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 we don't do that. But then later on, God gets sick of the Israelites and is like, hey, Moses, what about we just get rid of everyone? We'll start over. And Moses is like, God, we, that's not how we do things. I, I don't even know what that means, but I love that like interplay there. The, the character of God is this. I, make, I, I work through broken people and make all things new. And that takes time. Restoration takes a lot longer than, start, than just getting something new. Redemption takes a lot longer. Deliverance takes a lot, lot longer. It takes time. And so wherever you're at right now, God, I believe that God is at work, and I think that God's going to do something really, really important and beautiful through the series, and it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while, and we don't know how it'll unfold or what it'll look like. It'll take a while. Let's be people that are just patient and in the reality that God is making all things new. Let's, let's pray. Lord, I, um, I thank you, God. I thank you that you are at work. You're at work in this church community, that you're at work in the city of San Francisco, that you're at work in our, in our nation, you're at work in the world. And there are a great many things that are wrong with this world that we look out and we go, that is wrong. And Lord, you're, you're, you're at work. And sometimes it takes generations. Sometimes it takes years. I know there's things that even individually we want you to do right now. We want you to do right this second. And you're at work to redeem. And that just takes a little bit longer. And so would you settle us? Would you make us people who trust in you and in your timing and your meaning, that you would bring meaning to our story? And I know that that happens in Christ. Christ, you bring the, the true meaning to our lives and true meaning to our story. 
For those of us that need deliverance, Lord, I pray that you would start acting, that you would start decisively acting to bring us, to bring deliverance from our addictions, from the things that hold us, that bind us, that keep us rooted in fear and insecurity and behavior patterns, that you would free us, Lord. And I pray this, all this in your strong name.